from the uh, podcast Locked on Big 12, Josh Neighbors. Josh, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, getting through these final remnants of winter here in the state of Virginia with the cold weather. So, braving that out, and then uh, we're good to go. Some 80-degree weather this weekend. 86 here today, so I just thought I'd pass that Ooh. along. So, uh, <laughs> Hey, let's start with baseball. And, and, and I want to I get your thoughts on, on the conference as a whole. You know, we were talking about it earlier. I, I thought – starting this season, that there may be a couple of elite teams in this league and, and maybe a couple of even really good teams to go with it. Uh, but right now, I, I, I'm not sure. Uh, I, and I realize it's April and not May, but I think what we have are good teams, but I don't think we have elite teams. I don't think we have top eight teams that are going to be hosting Super Regionals. Yeah, I, I you know, the rankings from D1Baseball.com will tell you that some Big 12 teams will definitely have opportunities to do that. But what worries you is is the quality of play. You know, Texas Tech right now has lost five in a row. Texas is six and six in the league, but they feel like they've got the most talent all around. TCU's playing the best baseball right now out of anybody. They've won three in a row in the conference, four in a row overall. And then Oklahoma State, you know, just took the, the lead in the conference and still has a lot of the tough games to play. Lost a weird game to Oral Roberts last night. So these teams, you know, I know it's a midweek game. You're not picking the best guys. But these teams, you know, they really haven't found their stride. It's good to see teams like West Virginia right now still at six and three in the league and twenty-two and twelve overall. So yeah, I, you know, this is a league where there's no, uh, there's no Tennessee in this league. There's no Miami. Although Miami did lose to Virginia Tech last week. You know, there there are no teams that are really sticking out to you right now. You know, the quality of play comes, it just comes and goes for a lot of these teams right now. And I'd say TCU kind of looks the best, but Texas to me feels like that kind of sleeping giant. Is there a team out there that they, I was going to ask that maybe the guy, the team that, that makes that surge? Is Texas that possible team that, that kind of gets it all together and starts making a surge here? Yeah, I, I think they are because you think about their pitching staff and their talent. I mean, you know, they've got the best pitching in the league statistically, the best hitting in the league. And I was talking to our friend Stephen Simcox the other day about this, and he's like, look, if there's a team that can rip off 12 straight and you wouldn't be like, oh, I'm surprised, it's Texas. You would say, oh, well, where's this been all year long? So they've got that kind of ability in them. The question is, you know, can they get it done? And particularly, can they get it done on the road? They're around 500 in the road right now, too. So that's something to watch. But I think you have to look at the Longhorns and say, look, this is a team – talent-wise, pitching-wise, lineup-wise, that can just they can do it all if they put it together at the right time. Let's stick with the Longhorns there, but let's talk football. They add A.G. Hall, the wide receiver, coming over from Alabama yesterday in the transfer portal. With him and this group they've brought in, are they set up to have the best core of receivers in the Big 12 this season? I think without Jai Hall, I think they do. Because um, I really like the Naylor kid they bring in, Isaiah Nair, uh, uh, they bring him in from Wyoming, Wyoming stolen from Tennessee. You add him into the mix with Xavier Worthy, who I think is a phenomenal talent, a really good player. And you got some veterans left there, too. You bring in Joel Billingsley to play tight end. You got Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson in the backfield. I think the big question now is, you know, what's the offensive line look like? But as, as far as the receiving core goes, yeah, like Quinn Ewers is not going to have any, you know, he'll not be wanting for any weapons. They're, they're making sure – you know, you had Jai, Jai Hall now, they're going to make sure that that, they, that thing is stocked. I think the big question for me is, 
you know, Nick Saban was pretty direct in his criticism of both Jaleel Billingsley and Ajayi Hall without saying their names after the national championship game and talked about guys not really doing what they were supposed to in terms of preparation and not being ready. You know, there's so much going on in Texas right now. Um, I think there is a certain amount of personality management that's going to have to happen. You just saw, you know, the comments last week from Jomo, and now you've got guys like Hall and Billingsley and Quinn Ewers in there. You know, this stuff is going to be about managing distractions because we've said this a lot before, but I think more so this year than ever, the talent for them, especially on offense, is 100% there. Like, there is no doubting this group's talent on offense. It's just can everything work together can they sustain it for four quarters? And can they drown out the outside noise that, you know, we start hearing the Texas back stuff. Talking with Josh Neighbors from the uh, podcast Locked Up Big 12. Josh, we can identify several teams in the Big 12 that, hey, this spring is really, really important for them as they establish depth charts and things when it comes to, to, to football. Uh, are there a couple of teams that, that, you, that you look at and go, hey, spring, Spring is going to be kind of a quote unquote normal situation for them. That yes, they got to field spots because of graduation and players that have that have left. But the program is set; they're in a good spot. Staff is in a good place, and this is just about going about getting better. Are there a couple of teams that you can identify in that category? Um, it's it's odd because there's so you know, there's turnover all the time, but there's so much transition happening across the board for a lot of these schools, I would say it's, it's hard to pick any that are like, that, that, you know, are having normal springs. I mean, I would say Baylor's spring is semi-normal because of the amount of staff retention. So that's good news for them. Um, you know, I think that's, that's a pretty normal spring going about your business. But you think about places like Kansas state where like they can't do a spring game because of the amount of injuries that they're having, on their defensive line. You know, uh, Oklahoma State's really banged up as well. I would say one that's under the radar, and we've been saying it's under the radar, Iowa State. I know they had a lot of turnover, but they were able to take the show on the road this year. They were able to take their spring game to three other, well, their spring practices, I should say, to three separate high schools, one of them being in Gilbert, Arizona, too. And I think that just shows great infrastructure, right? you're at a place where you can actually take your team in the spring at a time where there's so much, you know, usually turmoil, these rosters and uh, decisions are being made and whatnot, trying to get a feel for stuff. But they're able to take that show on the road to go other places to do that. That just shows great infrastructure to me. So I think that, that, you know, with the weight of expectations off Iowa state, I think Matt Campbell might be at home this season. I feel like this spring was a quiet one for them. And that's just how Matt Campbell wants it. Oklahoma softball took a rare loss to Texas over the weekend, uh, four to two. Is the gap closing between the Sooners and everybody else, or is that just a pressure release valve for this Sooner softball team? Uh, you know, Texas is a really good team. Um, you know, and I, I thought Haley Desini pitched really well on Sunday, and I yeah, she actually pitched pretty well on Friday too in that first game of the series. But no, I, I don't think the gap is closing necessarily. I mean. They won 3-0 in a shutout, 9-1-5, and and then uh, 4-2 they lost in that final game. They've still run-rolled in 30-plus of, you know, of, their, of their games this year. I, I just think you're not going to have a weekend with the pitchings you know, off at, at bad times. And also, uh, it was a rough weekend for both Tiari Jennings and for Jocelyn Allo. So I, I don't think you're going to see that happen very often. 
Um, and I, I think in some senses that uh, having that loss there, it's going to ease some pressure off. You know, I think it's a situation where they play so many games and look, they flirted with loss a couple times, especially that one game against Baylor. I think we all remember that one. You know, they had a close one against Utah earlier uh, in the year as well. So I think it's just nice to have the loss behind them. I think their attention now focuses on conference play, and, and they've got a huge series coming up in about two weeks against Oklahoma State, uh, who is currently, funny enough, number one in the conference right now. Everybody played different amounts of games, but Oklahoma's number, uh, Oklahoma State rather is number one in the Big 12 in softball. So I think that's something that we should note uh, as we head towards uh, the end of the season. You know, that series, I know Oklahoma will be favored, but uh, the, the Cowgirls and Kenny Gajewski, man, he's done a great job. They're in good position, and that should be an awesome series. On the hardwood, David McCormick comes out yesterday and says, well, I got a national championship under my belt. Now I'm going to enter the NBA draft. Is his, is he ready for the league, in your opinion? Yeah, so it's a great question. Um, I, I think it's going to be for David, you know, while he's an older guy, we saw that things really did go in fits and starts for him. Um, he is sometimes a good rim protector. Sometimes he gets in a lot of foul trouble. Sometimes he was a menace with that, you know, getting to the lane. He loves to get to the middle of the lane, too. He, he's, you can see it from both sides. He likes to have that. He likes to get to the middle and use that really good jump hook. And he's actually got one from both sides. But he's really effective at that. So he's got a skill set of post moves. Um, it, the, just the question with him is consistency. But, uh, you know, I think that, the, you know, there's no reason for him to go back. There's no reason for him to go back. He's accomplished everything he can accomplish. He's not getting any younger. It's, you know, it's probably now's the time age-wise for him to go to the league. It's just what can you add on? But he was an elite talent coming out of high school. You saw that talent tone of fruition with the way he played in the end of the tournament. It's just a question of when he's going up against the Rudy Gobert's of the world, the DeAndre Aydens of the world, you know, you know, even like uh, JaVale McGee's of the world, backup guys like that, you know, guys in the playoffs right now. You know, could he guard a – could he guard Nikola Jokic on the perimeter? You know, would you, would you even want to risk having him out there? Could he guard Aaron Gordon's if he's not guarding Jokic's? That's my big question is, you know, what does the defense look like? But he's a really athletic dude. He's actually a pretty decent shot blocker. Now, this is the right time for him. And, and we've been waiting to see the version of McCormick that we saw in the tournament. I, I, think, I think the big question with scouts is, okay, can we take that version? Can we get it more often? And what can we add to it to, to kind of maximize efficiency? And, and let's see what this thing can be as, as him as a pro. There, there are pros and there are cons when it comes to the, the one and dunce. What, what is your opinion on one and dunce? Uh, I mean, I'm fine with it. You know, I, I think um, I'm fine with one and done. I, 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 the one thing I would say is, you know, um, if people are going to complain so much about one and done, maybe making a deal where the kids got to stay two years. I think, especially now with name, image, and likeness, um, opportunities to make money. But that, I would, I'm not really that too far in that direction look I, I think it's tough when you want in basketball especially to deny kids a living in football you know the, the rule of having a kid for three years generally speaking is something that is good right there are exceptions we have them come along pretty often where a guy is ready to play in the pros before he is you know 20 or 21 but i think generally speaking in football it's good that we have, we allow kids to physically mature because we know it's a violent violent game in basketball no, there are kids who are 18 who are ready and um, you know, I, I think sometimes kids benefit from two years in school. I think a lot of kids who come out too early to go to the draft. But I would say, you know, generally speaking, um, you know, Kate Cunningham, we should not be keeping Kate Cunningham out of the league. 
he was ready to go after one year. He was probably ready to go before that. So I'm fine with it. But I, you know, I, I think the idea is like these kids are going to school. It's, you know, it's, it's not really how it is. Um, and so I think maybe if you were to fix it, maybe go, hey, you can either go to the G League out of high school, maybe you can go straight to the draft. I wouldn't advise that, but go to the G League. Or if you're going to go to college, you got to go play two years. But there are avenues. You can make money playing in Europe. You can make money in the G League. You can now make money in college. So there are different avenues. So I would not feel horrible if they went with a two-year rule. If you're going to go to college, you got to be there for two years. I think because, you know, you'd be able to turn that down. Now other kids would probably just go and play and make money. So that would be a deterrent. But, um, you know, I think to make sure we get the good players in college, one and done is fine with me. Kind of keeping on the same subject here, Josh, but for basketball, Big 12 has kind of been the go-to conference in basketball in the NCAA, one of the best conferences out there. With the transfer portal and the mass exits, we see at a lot of Big 12 schools already uh, after the season has ended. Do they continue to keep that toehold on basketball, or is this conference going to maybe take a step back because of so many kids or just the mass exits going across the country? Well, it, it's always going to be a challenge. I think the one, you know, with the fluctuation of rosters, I think the one thing that the Big 12 can boast is the quality of their coaches. When you think about this league, and I know they're going to lose OU in Texas, but they're going to bring in some pretty darn good coaches um, as well and some good teams as well. But you've got Bill Self, Scott Drew, Chris Beard for right now, Bob Huggins, Mark Adams. Uh, you know, you go down and down the list, you know, even uh, uh, Oklahoma, Porter Mosier, uh, TJ Otzelberger, what he did at Iowa State was absolutely incredible. There's so many good coaches in this league that I, I think those guys know how to make rosters come together. They also know what kind of guys they want. Mark Adams knows the kind of players he wants. Scott Drew knows what kind of players he wants. Bill South can basically get any player that he wants. I mean, not with the, the, you know, the NCAA stuff coming down the pike, but at least right now he can. So I think the one uh, leg up that this league has on every other league is how good the coaching is from top to bottom. And that attracts players. And also they know how to get groups of guys to play well together. Like Tyrese Hunter emerges a lot because of TJ Osterberger and, and the coaching he got. He'll go play somewhere else, but he really flourished under a coach that pushed him every single day. Guys like Isaiah Brockington come to play for guys like Osterberger. He made him into a star and gave him an opportunity. There, we have coaches like that at the even the, in the middle tier of this conference. You know, Mike Boyd's a tremendous coach, tremendous coach. So I think that's the one leg up this league has is that no matter the talent level, you, this might be the second or third most talented conference in terms of lottery guys or whatever, but the coaching is what makes this conference different than all the other conferences. That's a great point. And I know you all had y'all's Big 12 roundtable the other night, and one of the questions that the topics at hand were – once the, the change happens and Texas OU leave and the new schools come in, is the Big 12 still a Power 5 conference? What was the grand consensus in that? Well, I think it is. You know, everybody talks about this who's not paying attention. Um, I, I mentioned this before. Like, all the Pac-12 has to stand on right now is Lincoln Riley at USC, and he's not even established yet, and Dan Lanning at Oregon. Oregon's about to make a big, big push to win a title for Phil Knight as he gets older. So, that stuff's going to get better. But, like, is the Pac-12 top to bottom is not a better football league than the Big 12 is right now. It's just not. Um, and you, you look at the ACC, too. Besides Clemson, 
who's propping that league up right now? I mean, Clemson just lost both their coordinators, and you know, down year last year, ten win season, but you know, they they've got they've got some work to do, and they're the ones who are propping up the ACC right now as well. We'll see what Mario Cristobal does at Miami, but this league is you know, it's it's got some consistency right now. It's got guys who are entrenched like a Mike Gundy, like a uh, you know, I mentioned before, uh, you know, the Iowa State situation is very solid, we think, right now. You know, somebody could come calling for Matt Campbell at any moment in time. But I think, you know, with the coaching, with those solid situations, like, they are a more consistent, you know, uh, league than, than the Pac-12 is right now, than the ACC is right now, top to bottom. That's why there's still a Power 5 league, in my opinion. You add Cincinnati team that's going to the playoff. You add BYU, a consistently really strong program. You add UCF, a team in Florida, and you add, uh, you know, Houston, who just won 12, 13 games, uh, 12 games, I think, last season as well. You know, this this league is going to have some more, you know, it's going to be add some, some good teams in the middle class. But I think top to bottom, it's a league that can just hold its own against the Pac-12 or the ACC. Hey, Josh, uh, what are you working on for the uh, for the podcast? It's quarterback week. We're talking all things quarterbacks. Who's the best quarterback going into the season, the Big 12? Uh, which quarterback's got the most approved? Sleeper quarterbacks. We're hitting all that stuff in draft coverage coming up next week as well. Hey, uh, we appreciate your time as always. And where can we find the podcast, by the way? Yep, you guys can find the podcast wherever you guys get your podcast: Apple, Stitcher, Spotify. You guys can find us on YouTube as well. And you also can find us on Twitter at LOBig12. You guys can find me at Josh Neighbors underscore. Hey, Josh, thanks. Appreciate your time. Yep, talk to you guys next time. You bet. Josh Neighbors from the uh, podcast Locked on Big 12.